Much faculty based story the next. I'm joined by Julie Robb, who has a very, very long title. Forever. MA Theological Studies Program Leader, MA Biblical Studies Program Leader, MA Aspects and Implications of Biblical Interpretation Program Leader, Lecturer in Biblical Studies, and BA Theological Studies Program Leader. There you go. And I've remembered it all. It's very really good. Who's this thing can pause, rewind, and fill in the blanks for all of that? Uh, and how long have you been around LST? As a faculty member. Is it one to start with that? Uh, I started here in 2008, January 2008. So only Graham McFarlane and Tony Lane have actually been on faculty longer than myself. Saying something. And I guess we'll get to yes. the rest of the story as we go along. But let's go back to the beginning and so what's the context for Julie growing up? I grew up in South East London okay. in Peckham uh, to uh, Christian parents and Christian just about everyone else so the church I grew up in was a Baptist church uh, that had my parents in, my grandparents in, my great-grandmother in, my great-aunt and uncle in so it was a bit like the family business really um, so I grew up in that church. I owe a lot to that church actually uh, you know, it, it would be easy to look back and say, well, they did this or they did that and be critical of it. But I owe a lot to that church and I owe a lot to both my parents and the church in falling in love with scripture, with the Bible. And yes, OK, initially knowing the Bible at a Sunday school level, because mm. that's where you st start, then moving on from that. So was the, with the family uh, faith, were you then growing up in the faith? Do you do you? have a, a time that you look at where you became a Christian or you joined your Christianity or I do indeed when I was growing up the people used to talk about giving your heart to the Lord and I was seven and I'd been to something that evening that was for my age group and the person had spoken and they'd spoken about heaven and hell and I knew my, my mum and dad would be in heaven and at that time I called them mummy and daddy well it's not obvious but I did and I went home and I thought, I know my mummy and daddy be in heaven and I don't want to be where they're not. So I want to be a Christian. I, I want to, to give my heart to the Lord. So I did. It didn't make a huge amount of difference to my life. You know, I can't say I gave up sex, drugs and rock and roll overnight. I tried, but, you know. At the age of seven. Apart. At the age of seven. Yeah. Hopes yeah, you exactly. won't do too much of those. Exactly. So it didn't really make a huge profound difference to my life and what was going on in that until really I became... Well, until I was in my teens, but more precisely when I left home to go to university. Right. And were there other siblings around the house? I had one brother. I, well, I had one brother who is younger than I am. But, and we also, when I was actually just about to go off to university, my parents fostered someone, a, a, a young person in our church, a girl in our church, who was brought by her foster mother and she kept running away. And the people and she ran away every single time to my parents to the point when she ran away my the social worker would find my parents up and say she's on her way um and in the end the foster the social worker said she's chosen who she wants to be with so uh so she's my sister but she didn't come to us until she was about 13 and i was just about to go off to university right any other major experiences at home when baptism presumably happened at some point i was i was baptized at 12 on right. the age of 12 um and that was very special i still remember that very clearly very very clearly um going into the waters and coming up the other side um and the water was warm 
which was nice. Always and I, no, it's not all that. And I'm saying that because yesterday we had reaffirmation by baptism of baptismal vows in our church, and we had a poor water was freezing. Mm. Um, and as my husband is the one who did the baptizing, we'll get onto that, I'm sure, in, in a moment. Um, I said to him, you know, if it was me, darling, I just said, I know this is really in obedience to the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm not getting in there until it's warmer. Um, so, uh, but the baptismal pool was, yeah, so I was 12 and I was baptized. Okay. So then uh, staying in the faith through teenage years, that's not always an easy. Yes. I went to a school that it, it, it's not, and we had a Christian union. And I went to that. Um, I went to a school that had a church. It was an Anglican. It was a state school, but it was very strongly Anglican foundation. We had a chaplain. We had uh, Christian assemblies, and there was the communion. So not the communion service was compulsory for students to go, uh, pupils to go to, but a, a communion service once a week. So um, it it wasn't easy, but neither was it difficult to be a Christian in that environment, right? Because there were many who were. Okay. Uh, then university, where and studying what and why? I went to a University of Wales, Cardiff, uh, to study biochemistry because I absolutely loved biology and I loved chemistry and I loved human biochemistry, basically. And I loved my first degree, absolutely loved it. A lot of uh, medics hate biochemistry, <laughs> but they have to do it as part of their, their sort of pre-medic training. And they hated it, but I absolutely loved it. Um, I found it uh, incredibly fascinating to see how we are so, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It only takes one tiny thing not to be absolutely right. And we are completely thrown out. We are completely thrown out. You know, one, one, one small part of our DNA, one chromosome, not in quite, quite right. One of the pairs of, of, um, the adenine, cyt the adenine, guanine, and cytosine and thymine pairs in our DNA to be not quite right, and we are, we are completely, you know, we are subject to ge um, genetic diseases, some of which at the present time are still incurable, mitochondrial diseases, um, and so many others. We are absolutely fearfully and wonderfully made. It's just incredible to realise that. And you clearly still remember quite a lot from your first. Yes. From your first degree. Well, one one would hope you can. I mean, it you there's lots I've forgotten. And you know, that the human genome has now been mapped, which hadn't happened when I uh, was doing my studies. Um, so there's a lot that I don't know. But I I was really encouraged because I was staying with friends or some a couple of years ago now, and their son was doing biochemistry at the time, and I had he has some biochemistry. I was staying in his room, he was off somewhere. And they had some biochemistry textbooks, and I had to look at them, and I thought, mm -hmm. "I understand. I can do this. I can do that. I remember that. I remember that." So that was actually quite. Yeah. I thought, "Oh, that's good. I haven't forgotten as much." Uh, you think you've forgotten a lot, and then you get the textbook, and you think, "Actually, I haven't." And clearly, you know, in your reflections, there was some integration of your faith with your studies. But what else was happening at university? It's always a time of. Yeah. formation that was more a time when I had to work out that this was what I wanted for myself so for a couple of years I kind of wandered on the periphery really not so much of my faith I don't think I sort of stopped I didn't stop believing in God I didn't stop believing that Jesus died on the cross well none of the actual kind of fundamental facts of our faith did I I doubt 
but kind of how committed I wanted to be. So, but I was, we had a lot of family friends in Cardiff. And for the three years I was in Cardiff, I did not spend one Sunday in hall because I was picked up in the morning, was taken to church and then taken to someone's house and was given dinner and then would go back in the evening and was part of the youth group. And that kept me grounded, although I wasn't completely fixed, if that makes sense. Um, so, but university was good for me because by the third year, I thought, yeah, no, no. first two years were more of a wobble. Third year, no, this is what I want. Right. This is what I want. But it, it was never about doubting the facts of our faith. It was more about how committed I wanted to be. Did I want to have one foot in the world and one foot in kind of nightclubbing and things like that? So it was more of that rather than I doubted my faith. Okay. And then what was that? What was after the degree? <laughs> I went from there to Leeds to do a postgraduate diploma in nutrition and dietetics. So I qualified uh, after two years, I qualified as a state registered dietitian. Um, so that was something that I loved as well. Um, it's it's not, I mean, yes, if you're interested, if you like cooking, it's good, but that's not what it's about. Yeah. That's not what it's about. I happen to like cooking, but it's not about that. Um, so I qualified to work in health service as a dietitian. And three different cultures, London, Cardiff, Leeds. Yes. Was that, did you learn stuff through the, the cultural experiences or? I loved being in Wales. I loved being in Wales. If I could have stayed in Cardiff, I would have done. But I couldn't do the dietetic postgraduate diploma that I wanted to do and stay in Cardiff. I absolutely loved it. I would have stayed there with that shadow down. I liked being in Leeds. It took me time to adjust to being in Leeds because it wasn't Cardiff, basically. Um, not anything per se about Leeds. Um, so... I mean, they're both all London, Cardiff and Leeds are obviously big cities. Um, so and. And I having grown up in a city doesn't it never worried me about living and working and walking around in a city and and, and so on. Um, but I would have loved to have stayed in Wales um, and to have lived in and to have remained in Cardiff, but it wasn't what God wanted for me. So. Staying in Baptist churches in all three cities, no, ser no. serving in churches. What are we doing church-wise? In, in Cardiff, I went. I, I'm hedging my bets here. So I went to a very Anglican primary and and senior school. Grew up in a Baptist church. Cardiff, I went to a Brethren Assembly, which anyone knows me find hilarious because I wasn't supposed to say anything as a female. <laughs> but they were really. I mean, they were lovely. They were lovely and kind and giving, and and so on. In Leeds, I kind of mixed between St. George's in the centre of Leeds, huge Anglican church, has a huge work amongst the homeless, um, and then a, a, a local Baptist church. So that kind of split the two. two yeah. So I think we've had recent graduates serving at St. George's. That's more than probable. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, so I'm hedging my bets. And doing, doing involved in activities, leading groups at um, all? Not well, in the present. <laughs> well, I was involved actually. Well, well, I was involved in the in the youth group, and and yes, they split the youth group when they did anything. But then, when it was the girls, yeah, I would often be involved in in, in leading that. Uh, not so much in Leeds, uh, but I was only there for a relatively short amount of time because some of it was 
uh, in college and then some of it was actually practical placement that you had to do six months off, which I did at Guy's in London. Right. So, but I was, the church I grew up in, yes, I was very involved in youth group and leadership and uh, speaking, um, leading worship, not so much preaching, but leading worship. Uh, yeah. Talking about guys, is Hubby to be on the scene yet, or are we no. not meeting him yet? Oh, I haven't met him yet. All right, oh, we're, still, him yet. <laughs> we're still waiting for him. So then, him. so then, it's employment next. Yes. So, um, so I qualified as a state registered dietitian, and my first post was actually at guys. They appointed me. It was at. It was incredible, really, because it was always said they never employ a student that they had there, that they employed me. And so I, I worked at Guy's. And uh, but between between taking my state registration exams and that first post, I actually spent, and you're gonna be very interested in this, Matt, because you will know this organization very well. I spent six weeks on a short-term mission trip with what was then, well, what is now Arab World Ministries. Oh yes. Your dad was yeah. the minister, probably at that so, time, I guess. Yes. So I knew your surname. Yes. And I, I probably did meet your dad, but um, so, yeah, so, which I loved. So where did you go? Uh, I went to Toulouse but and worked there for a time, then went to Morocco for two weeks um, and stayed with a, a mission family there. They, they weren't there as missionaries as such, yeah. obviously, but at there and we travelled around Morocco uh, and then came back to Marseille and stayed there for um, before we flew home um i loved i absolutely loved morocco except the one place everyone in the world thinks is wonderful in morocco is the one place i hated was marrakesh i have never been anywhere where i felt so oppressed by evil as i did in marrakesh mm -hmm. we went out into the atlas mountains mm -hmm. fine came back into marrakesh felt oppressed again but anyway, so I came home from that, got my first post at Guy's. So what was the inspiration for that mission trip? Was it just kind of do something in between or was it was there a no. calling or? No, I actually thought God was going to was calling me into working in in a mission situation or that environment within a Muslim country. Um, using my uh, nutrition dietetic skills um, and I'd at both at Cardiff, there were a lot of Muslim students at Cardiff. Certainly when I was there, can't say for whether that's true now. I suspect it is, but there certainly was when I was. And I'd get in conversation with them. Um, and in one sense, I didn't feel like I could engage with them. I didn't know enough about them. So there, it, it all came out of that, really. Um, and I thought I'd be going in, as I say, into a mission environment. So it 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 it, it wasn't kind of, well, what do I do? I'll tell you what, I'll go on a short-term mission trip because I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> there was purpose in it. There was purpose in it. Guys was the next step. And Guys was the next step. How long were you at Guys? I was there for two years, basically. Um, the, and what had happened, when I came back from short-term mission trip, I went to see my minister. He'd been very involved in mission organisations, high up on the boards, in fact, chair of a number of mission boards, in relation to South America and OMF and FIBA and, and lots of those. So I went to talk to him um, and he said to me, you need to think about doing some theology. 
And I thought, I have just spent five years. Hmm. I do not want ever to study anything ever again. Hmm. Never mind doing an exam or write an essay. So I thought, anyway, so I started at Guy's, worked at Guy's. And I'd been there for about a year, 15 years or so, roughly. And I began to think about what's my next step? Because the way dietetics worked at then, you went in as basic grade, then you looked for senior posts and so on. So what's my next step? Where do I want to go? And I thought, you know what? I want to go and I, I think I need to go and study theology. So I applied here. What was London Bible College at that time to study theology? And I was just going to do the two-year diploma. Mm-hmm. And I went to see, again, my minister, because to talk about it, he needed to give me a reference. He would need to give me a reference anyway. And he said, you know what? You're clearly able to do a degree. You should do a degree because you never know God might take you into theological training in a mission situation. So get a theology degree. So I did. So I came here to do a theology degree. Um, and in that, but in between being accepted here and then starting, so I was accepted in whatever month it was, January, I think, starting in October, I actually became really unwell with ME. And I actually thought I wasn't going to be coming because I thought I, I can barely get out of bed, never mind walk. Or study anything but God gave me and sort of brought me through that so I was able to come study theology here. As mature students was it largely mature at that time? Yes it was largely mature um, and we were a group an undergraduate first year undergraduate group 50 right. and only 12 of us were female and so, there were probably ongoing interesting discussions about male female roles at that point should discussion about it i mean i know for sure that there was one who was vehemently against yeah. uh, females taking any leadership roles in churches for sure um and i suspect there were one or two others who struggled but we it wasn't a major focus of, of okay. our studies really at that point so, and I just, I was calm and content in where I was. I knew where God was eating me. What I didn't expect when I came here, because I still thought I'd be going overseas, what I didn't expect when I came here was to fall in love with theology as a subject, and particularly, well, the, theology is a subject, but particularly the New Testament side of it, and actually to find that, you know what, I was okay with it, really. I was really quite good. Mm. Um, and I started to think, yeah, actually what I want to be involved in is training those who are going to be going into Christian leadership, mission environment, or even just going back into their churches to be leaders in their church, home group leaders or whatever. So, and and I really have a passion and had a passion that what we teach has to be something that people can use. It's not just an academic subject. You know, when you're sitting in church on a Sunday and you're speaking or you're leading or you're talking to people, you know, people, you, people are going to come in. They're struggling with, they, they're aware that perhaps their marriage isn't working out quite the way they wanted. Or they've got a, a grandson who, or a granddaughter who they think might be getting into, into drugs. Or they've got suspicions. You know, how do we make Sunday relevant to Monday to Saturday? Because if we don't, then it's it's just a Sunday faith, and that's not what we're called to. Mm. 
the day. How did you find the balance between studying theology and your personal devotional life? It's a classic issue that a lot of people face. Yeah. You know what? It's really strange. I have never really struggled with that. I have never really struggled. don't know why, but I, I haven't. And I suppose it's because, um, to me, that the, they're an integrated whole. If what my personal devotional life has to impact my theology, but my theology has to impact my personal devotional life. Otherwise, it's just like it's it's schizophrenia or whatever mm. it is. I'm not sure that's the right term, but you, you, you know, the two have to come together. Um, and I think you know when the the people that that taught me, some of whom people know, people like Conrad, people like Graham, um, and many others, they they incorporated they knew that the two had to come together to come together otherwise it was meaningless so a degree here and then straight on to masters or no i went back for a number of years uh, and worked as a dietitian so by this time i was living in this area so i was working up the road at mount vernon and doing a combination of acute and community work uh, with acute in the hospital setting and community and gp surgeries so I went back to being a dietitian. And the reason for that is you asked about husband being on the scene. The husband I am married to at the moment, no, he was not on the scene. But I did meet my husband. And we got married. And he felt very unwell. With a basically a, a tumour condition, a very rare tumour condition of the adrenal glands. Um, and in 1994, he died. And in that period between graduating and starting my master's, I was looking after him. Okay. And does any question, anything interesting uh, in terms of the, the faith journey through it was, tragedy? Yeah. I, what I learned in Old Testament, actually, was what kept me to realise that the Psalms, Job, so many, make it absolutely legitimate to tell God it stinks and it is not fair and this should not have happened and why. And I've got to tell you, I have never had an answer to the why. And I was off the cliff edge, holding onto the cliff by my fingernails. But I was, but that's what kept me just it's all right to tell god it stinks i mean i couldn't play for months and no one i didn't have a problem with that couldn't read my bible for months but i was also surrounded by people who really loved me my family obviously but the church i was in at the time really loved me and cared for me and also because i knew that mike who had been through or chemotherapy, radiotherapy, surgeries, I cannot tell you. I've spent so much time in St Thomas's accident and emergency in the middle of the night. It's not funny. Um, but he never gave up on God. And he would say, people would say to him, why you, Mike? Why? why? And he'd say, why not me? Why should I be free from it? Um, and he never gave up on God, never on his faith. And I knew that I couldn't. For him, in one sense, I suppose. Um, but it, it, yeah, for sure, it was really, really tough, really tough. And um, yeah, it, it still makes me cry. 
it still wakes me cry when I think about it. Um, coming up to the anniversary of it, and I will cry. I know I will. And that's fine because grief is not something that it, it it's one of those things that it's not that grief changes or that grief decreases. It's the fact that your life expands. Mm. The grief hasn't changed. The grief is still there. It's, the grief is still as big as it was, but it's your life has expanded. It's like a ball in a box when it first happens. It touches every side of the box as as the as your life goes on, the box gets bigger, the ball stays exactly the same size, and every so often it will hit the sides and it will kind of hit you all over again. Mm-hmm. It, it was, yeah, hurt, but you know, God held on to me, and this is this I owe this to Graham Twelve Tree. Actually, he once said to me, "You know, it's not that you've got hold of God; it's that God's got hold of you." And that when you walk across the road, why is a child safe? Because they've got hold of your hand or because you've got hold of them. And when I have, you know, and when you're walking a child across the road, you are not going to let go of their hands. They can wriggle and wriggle and wriggle. And you've got children. You know how they will want to wriggle and wriggle and wriggle. But you are not going to let go of their hand. And that's, in one sense, how that was, I was safe because God had got hold of my hand crossing the road, not because I'd got hold of his hand. Thanks for sharing. Then postgraduate work again yeah. here. I came back here to do my MTH. So I did that in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and was looking at Matthew's Gospel and particularly at the unexpected nature of Jesus for the Pharisees. And um, well, Jewish expectations generally. Speaking. So I thought I want to do doctoral studies. In Matthew's Gospel, there isn't a Matthew specialist here, so I looked at King's mm-hmm. and got a got a place at King's to do my doctoral research. I did my doctoral research in John and Acts, so I could have stayed here all the time. But actually, it was good for me to actually. I, I looking back, I know that doing my undergraduate, my masters, and my doctoral studies here would have been too insular in one sense. Yes. It was good for me to King, go to King's and to do it there, but it was then when I was doing my master's, that I met my current husband. Right. Okay. Uh, so how have you found the, you know, there is still stuff in the church on, on gender, of being a female academic. How have you found the experience of how you've been received as? Um, well, in this context here, I haven't found that to be an issue at all. What is very interesting is that when I went up to King's to do my, I, I had, a, I ended up having two supervisors. Was my first supervisor got a chair at Cambridge and so left. So I, I had another supervisor who was a female. But the the pre the first supervisor was male, and he once said to me, he said, "I don't know why you're doing this." He said, "You won't get a job as a female in New Testament," which was interesting. <laughs> Um, it's appalling that he said it in the the day and age he said it never mind (laughs) but anyway but so um so I I got the post here I wasn't looking to come back here as post I wasn't against it but I wasn't looking for it either but I got this post here um and it it stayed and and here I have never felt that I have to justify doing it as a female 
because you know it comes down to can you do it are you good enough to do it and if you've got the skills and abilities you go and you do it and also uh similarly in the churches i've been at as well since that's all happened have been you know julie can you do it yes you can go for it so my husband is extremely supportive for me leading in church and preaching in church and doing we do kind of school of theology and teaching on that so these are all anglican churches yes your now husband a, a vicar when you met him or is he no no because he was here all right doing um what was then the clam course mm-hmm. he comes from new zealand and his first degree was in performance viola and in his final year he was touring around with andrew maris right. uh he was doing a tour of new zealand doing music for him and andrew said to him about the developing music and worship course here. And Tim knew it was either that or he was either going to do master's studies at the conservatoire in Melbourne, or did he want to do theology? And he thought, you know what, I don't want to make music my profession in terms of orchestras, because it's dog eat dog world out there mm-hmm. for that one. And so he came here to, to do theology and do a few music papers or music modules which is how we met. And then he got uh, the role of director of music at St Mary's Church in Watford. Initially as well, working, when he was here as a student, he got very involved with the All Souls Orchestra and worked with Noel Trudinic. And so he went to work for Langham Arts as well. So he did that in combination. Then he got full-time post at St Mary's Watford. And they encouraged him into ordination, or the vicar at the time, encouraged him into exploring ordination in the Anglican Church. So then he, which is what he did, and he went to do his MA at Trinity College, Bristol, okay. and was ordained. And so he's now a uh, vicar in the Anglican Church. In the Church did you have much of a gap between finishing PhD and starting here, or was it? Yes. Uh, well, it wasn't a huge gap, but it was, I had my PhD viva in the June, mm-hmm. two days after we moved house. Don't do that. Anyone listening to this who's planning to do a Viva, don't move house two days before your Viva. Yes. Dreadful. I my Viva thinking, where's that stuff? What <laughs> did I put in it? Not, not good, really. Um, and so then I had minor, minor corrections. It was fine. That I had three, but the thing is, our daughter was born in the September. And so we decided that we would... Uh, I, I, well, we decided together that we, I, we, I wanted to be a kind of stay-at-home mum in that sense. But at the same time, Steve Walton, who was here, was looking for an associate research fellow to do some research for him on acts. So I I was doing that. So I was kind of doing that from home. So Sarah was born in 2003. So I started in January 2008. Right. So, um, but in that period, I'd been, I had kept up. Because active I was researcher. Active research for Steve in terms of acts, which is where obviously part of my PhD was... Uh, was involved with so now despite having 14 different titles for what you're currently doing here uh you also had other ministries alongside your your work here uh, over the past 16 years haven't you so what other kinds of things have you been doing in church and yes well um i've obviously been involved in teaching and preaching uh, i have a music ministry as well um so i'm involved in the music group at the church we're in, but I have a music ministry, which is what kind of brought Tim and I together, first of all, our, our mutual love of, of music. Is that what I name your music ministry? 
Sorry? Has, you, has it got a name? You're... Singing. Singing. Um, okay. I'm, a, I'm a, a grade eight singer um, and has performed in um, operas and other works. Not so much now, but I have in the past. The MST faculty, yeah, it could be quite spectacular if we actually. Yeah. So I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm more. How come I'm the only one who sings, but I'm the one who can't actually sing or hold a note for him? <laughs> so, so I do that. But um, yes, uh, I've ended up doing other things. So uh, I was asked to be a sessional tutor on the Eastern Region Ministry course, which trains ordinaries and readers in the Eastern Region of the Church of the UK, but also Diocese of Europe, because they can't, the Diocese of Europe is huge um, and covers, you know, so much and most of those students can't come to do residential training, so they do online training. So I was I taught I did that for I think close on ten years. Um, I also at much the same period uh, was the bishop's advisor on selection, advising bishops on candidates looking towards ordination, particularly focusing. They have at that stage they had three advisors. One was the vocations advisor. One was the pastoral advisor. Mom's an educational advisor, and I was the educational advisor. So I did that for eight to ten years. Um, that involves going away for four days and assessing these candidates. Um, and I've done some, covered some uh, sabbatical leave for University of Roehampton, and also uh, done four semesters for Stanford University at their London campus in Gloucester Road. And I that I gave up just at the end of this year when I started this period of roles mm. at MST. And through all of that mothering and, and wifing and teaching, have there been significant formative things related to your own spiritual walk? Are there events or gradual realisations? I think um, I think this started as an undergraduate, and I think, obviously, everything that happened to me with my first husband... And so is is that fact that becoming more and more comfortable with the fact that there are questions we cannot answer yeah. and that there is an element of our faith where this this was something that Helen Rosevear, this is not original to me, Helen Rosevear, he went out to the Democratic Republic of Congo as a missionary and then got kidnapped and she got raped and so on and some awful things happened to her and she, when she got rescued and she was in hospital she cried out to God you know why I wanted to serve you why has this happened and God said to her or she felt God say to her will you still trust me if I never tell you why and that kind of stays with me will I still trust God if he never tells me why if he doesn't answer my difficult questions and there are really difficult questions and I think the more I go on and the older I get the more difficult I think the questions are um, but I hold on to the bedrock. What keeps me in a Christian are the bedrocks. I know Jesus Christ came. I know he died. I know he rose again. And I'm absolutely confident of those. And so the difficult questions I have, I kind of I, I kind of hold on to that red bedrock because if I can trust that, then somehow I know that this is going to be worked out and that one day, we will see clearly and not darkly. Um, and as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Oh. So I hold on to, on to that. But so I think it's a question of, if you like, coming 
becoming more comfortable with the fact there aren't some questions for which there are no answers and being comfortable with those questions and not worrying that I've got to answer them um, or that I have to feel that I have to answer them for other people either. Thank you very much. That is Julie Robb's Faculty Faith Story.